So if you're watching a movie from the 30s, things were different in the 30s. So even if you were actually went back in time in the 30s, things would be different. So the cars are different. The clothes are different. Gestures are different. Slang is different. All those things are barriers between you and it often. But if the story is well told, everything in it is human. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller. In this episode, Brian and Jesse discuss the importance of consuming quality content as a storyteller. Because in order to create something meaningful today, you have to have studied the work of yesterday's masters. We invite you to expand your palette and embark on the 30-day story challenge, where you'll watch hand-picked movies to help you hone your craft. Brian McDonald. Jesse Brian. Let's do a show. All right. All right. I'm going to open up with a quote from a French writer from the 1700s, whose name I can't pronounce. So if you want to Google the quote, you can figure out how to say it. I kind of figured it out. Uh, the quote is, tell me what you eat, and I will tell you what you are. And so on this week's episode, we're going to talk about the importance of your diet when it comes to media. Okay. Um, you, ever, you ever been on a diet, Brian? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> I have. I had to think about it for a second, but you know, I was a vegetarian for a lot of years, so that's kind of a oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And then I was gonna uh, hurt someone if I didn't have a piece of meat. It was, it was, it happens to people sometimes, but it was like seven years, and then it was like, I have to kill a cow with my bare hands. So, so, so seven years, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, so seven years I did What was it like for you the first month of being a vegetarian? It wasn't too bad. I actually wish I could go back to it, but maybe I can now. I don't know. Um, It wasn't too bad. You know what? It's more of a – the social thing is a bigger problem, actually. Really? Come on, we're having burgers. What? You're not going to – what? You know? Yeah. Yeah, That was a bigger thing. You know what's interesting about that is it's the same exact way with the diet we're talking about wanting people to go on. Mm. You know, the hardest yeah. part of like if you're spending your nights and weekends watching a bunch of old movies and TV shows when all your friends are saying, hey, have you seen that new blah, blah, yeah. blah? It's true. You know, it's, it's true. just like any diet, right? Like yeah. there's, I, I've gone on diets before where I've like cut out sugar for a month, right? And the first few days are awful because you're having headaches it's like not having caffeine or something right that's when i stopped but then coffee yeah that's happened when i stopped but now i'm back on right monkey's back on my back (laughs) yeah (laughs) but then there was a thing that happened after a couple weeks that where i started going like i feel better right like by not eating sugar i hit i got through that kind of dip and i started Mm -hmm. feeling better and then all of a sudden um after about a month i was like you know i'm okay i don't really want any of that stuff Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there would be a situation where I end up going back and then it's hard to, right? But there's that period of difficulty you have to go through on any diet before yeah. it starts, you start to ha- feel better and you start to see the results. Um, and so what we're going to talk about today is really like, how do you assess, um, you know, it's it's kind of like, show me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are type of a thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know shorter version that's just, you are what you eat. Uh, when we try to get people to consume and change their media habits of like, you should watch this and you should check out this. Have you seen Columbo? Have you seen Mary Tyler Moore? Have you seen this? People go, ah, oh, you know, I tried to watch one episode and, you know, ah, it didn't really grab me or I, you right. know, I didn't really watch it or I was on my phone while I was watching it and whatever. 
and I'm sure that's the same. And then we get frustrated. We're like, just you got to give it a chance. You got to stick with it because once you stick with it, you'll feel better, right? right. Um, but if you don't ever make through that dip, you're not going to understand the benefits on the other side. Yeah, it's um, right. Yeah, I, I ran into this problem a lot. I was just talking about this. I ran into this problem a lot uh, when I was working with an animation program uh, at the University of Washington, and I was. Um, the students would all, like every year, I did it for like, I don't know, 13 years or something. But every year the students would come in and the, the, all the artists would all draw a particular way. Um, and it got more and more anime, like everything was anime. Everything, all their influences were anime. That's all they looked at, you know, um, manga and anime. So, so it's like you could look at other things, right? Because you, you're all drawing the same way. You could look, there are there are artists all over the world and all throughout time you could be looking at, and that would influence your work in a different way. And you might have a, uh, you, they weren't opening themselves up to all the possibilities of what they could be doing. They just had this one thing and that was the style and that's what everybody was doing. Um, and it was, uh, it was just this homogenous thing. It, and yeah. I don't understand. I think I've said it before on the, on this podcast, but, um, I, I like what Billie Holiday said, which is, um, if I sing like everybody else, why do I even need to sing at all? Right? And I think that what happens when everybody has the same influences and nobody's branching out, nobody's looking at other things, uh, if you're going to create things and you all are pulling for them save the same resources, um, there's going to be a homogenous quality to all the work. And why are you there? Right? Mm. Um, and also, I think that when people get locked in their time and are influenced by things in their time, and what I think that does often is sometimes things were done better before, but you mm -hmm. won't, you'll never know that. Um, again, I've said it before, but if you're an architect, you study the Colosseum in Rome. You study. You study great architecture throughout time, not just what are people doing right now today. But you talk to yeah. film people or TV people or, or comic book people can be a little bit better, but not not really. But can sometimes they can be, but they are very locked into their time, and so they're not looking at sometimes the best version of the thing that they're trying to do. We've talked before about how every time you study, for instance, you talk about the Colosseum, right? Like I've been to the Colosseum a couple times. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and, and it's hard to not stand there and go, how did they do this? Mm -hmm. And I promise you that if you studied that, it would teach you something about story. Right. I remember you told a story about a friend of yours whose dad was a, um, like a master craftsman builder. Right. Mm -hmm. And didn't he want to be an editor or something like yeah, that? Yeah. 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 My, my friend Eric. Yeah. Um, so Eric was, when we were teenagers and we both wanted to do film, um, I was working at a place doing sort of motion graphic stuff and he started doing apprentice editing work. But he was also working for his dad, he was a builder. And he couldn't, he didn't have enough time to do both these things. And so, um, and, and he was getting interested in the building stuff too and really became a master carpenter. But, but uh, at the time he wasn't sure how to reconcile this. And the, the editor he was apprenticing under uh, this guy named Rich Jetner, and Rich said to him, uh, 
because my friend said, I don't know what to do. I don't have enough time, you know, to, to do the, the uh, editing and the carpentry thing. And he says, I tell you what, what you do is you read about carpentry and you think about editing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It totally makes sense. Like mm -hmm. when it, when it comes to studying craft, it really comes down to study any craft and you're going to be able to see how they, they correlate. Right. Yep. Yep. Cause the principles are almost always the same. Um, when it comes to a diet of what you consume, because you, you and I were, we kind of started this conversation because we were talking about something and you were like, Hey, did you see this, this thing that had come out? And I was like, no, nah, man, all I'm doing is watching like every night I'm watching another Columbo and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know what's going on. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep going back further and further and further. And I've hit that point in the diet where I was like, I don't really feel like sugar. Like, no, I'm sure it's great, but I don't, Right. I'm yeah. kind of doing this other thing right now, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about Treasure Sierra Madre or something, and then all of a sudden it's like start going down this rabbit hole on this director or this writer or whatever, and you just keep following these threads back further and further and further, you know, and you find more and more gold. But, it, there's, but there's this dip that happens that you're going to have to be conscious of, mm -hmm. right? Like maybe you're listening to somebody and the language is – feels old timey or something. And so whenever you're trying to make just like any diet, right? When you're trying to make that transition and there's that dip of like not having coffee or whatever, and you feel a little off, like how do you get through that dip? So you can start to see the benefits on the other side of really consuming different types of media, right? Maybe older media. Right. Um, uh, I hear that's difficult, right? So I don't have, I, I feel lucky to have, um, been been born when I was born and and uh, grew up when I grew up because things were just different. Uh, people had some people had a black and white TV, some people had a color TV. Some movies that came on television—that's the only way you really saw movies unless you went to the movies. You couldn't you stream them. You couldn't, you know. Um, so some were black and white, some were color, and it, it seemed to make no difference. Like no one thought about it as a big. I mean. Yeah, color was kind of a big deal, but it wasn't the biggest deal. It wasn't a... No, it took a while for it to catch on. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was expensive, right, to get yeah, a color sure, television. Sure. It's like, well, I don't want to spend the money on a color television. And I've been watching Bonanza in black and white this whole time. So, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So, so, um, so this thing, when I say to someone, hey, you should watch this movie, and they'll say, ooh, it's in black and white. I'm like, I don't understand what... I don't understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. the, 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 they, I think they think they're not used to it. So I think it's boring. They feel like pieces of it. They're not getting all of the information or something. Um, what's interesting is that the more you delve into black and white and the more you learn about black and white, the more you can see the beauty in black and white. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a very expressive uh, thing. It can be uh, more dynamic in a lot of ways than color. Um, because of its graphic nature, um, you know, it, black and white photography can be black and white. And the more you learn about black and white, the more you can see the beauty in black and white. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a very expressive, uh, thing. It can be, uh, more dynamic in a lot of ways than color, um, because of its graphic nature. Um, you know, it, black and white photography can be gorgeous. Like if you if you oh, watch yeah. the movie How Green Was My Valley, the black and white photography in that movie is gorgeous. Um, once you learn how to see and appreciate it, 
um, it's as if something lifts, like a fog lifts, and you're like, why did I not see this? How can I not see this? And the interesting thing about black and white, the transition, I, I don't want to just talk about black and white, but the transition from black and white to color was an interesting one in, in film because um, directors at the time when that switch was happening didn't really care for color, most of them. They were not interested in it. They, did, they, they thought the film lost something with color, the same way that silent filmmakers thought something got lost when sound came in. Um, that doesn't make sense to people on this end of history, but if you listen to what they were saying, then it makes perfect sense. So nobody really knows this yet because they haven't gotten to see it yet, but the interviews for this new um, kind of version of the show where you're interviewing all these kind of masters of the craft that's going to start coming out, really starting on the next episode, you've gotten to talk to some people, and I know we, we probably can't announce everybody yet, but just dynamite, unbelievable people. And I was listening to the one that you did with Carl and Carl wrote Jaws and the Jerk and stuff like that. Like, I'm talking like the people that are going to be on this thing are just amazing. And it was interesting because the two of you were talking, all of your references, I don't think the vast majority of the folks that are listening to that, when they hear that interview are going to know what you guys are talking about. I think that's probably true. And that's where I was going like, wow, if you want to have the range where you can write Jaws and the Jerk, yeah, right? You need to have similar references right yeah you and it's interesting like, because i know what he's talking about carl godlieb is older than me and and i think he was surprised that i knew the stuff i knew i think yeah like wait you oh, know yeah. this yeah he was talking about like how he's a writer on the smothers brothers and you listed off all the other writers on the smothers brothers, <laughs> right and you could say he's like oh oh okay yeah okay gotcha we're on the same page like mm-hmm. but the interesting thing it's not just carl there's so many of these folks you're talking to that when you talk to them about influences, everybody's going way back, mm-hmm. right? The people at the top of their game are not saying, oh, man, I watched this movie on Netflix last night. Nobody says that. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Nobody said that. And I don't yeah. know how many you've, you've been doing because, you know, again, people haven't seen them yet, but, I mean, you've probably done 10, 12 of these, Something right? Like that, and yeah. it's really interesting to watch because just from a you-are-what-you-eat perspective, the stuff that they're consuming – even now, and some of them, a lot of them are being old, are older folks and very accomplished. They're still going back, mm-hmm. right? They're not clamoring for the latest Transformers release or something like. Like you can tell that they there's a different. It's like I remember when I was a kid. You know, I I spent I grew up mostly on an army base, right? And it was a lot of macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and stuff like that. I remember the first time I went to a fancy restaurant, being like, I don't know what this is. I don't even like the taste of it. Right. I look back now and I was like, man, that was Brie. What's wrong with you? Like, it's like, but if you're not used to like all of a sudden this like expanded flavor palette and stuff, it might take a little while to go like, I'm going to just stick with my mac and cheese, you right. know? And, and it's like, I promise there's more out there. Like there's more out there and, and it will, that will teach you more and you'll move so much faster if you put the time in and actually, you know, go back. Right. You know, it's like, it's like digging for gold. Right. Yeah, you have to dig, and it, and it you're, it's just dirt. That's what you're going to feel like. There's just dirt in here, right? <laughs> and then eventually you'll hit gold. Eventually something clicks, and you'll you'll you'll. I like. I didn't know this was down here. This is amazing. This is bright and shiny. Yeah. You know, it it changes. Something changes in your brain, but you have to get past all of the barriers between you and it. So if you're watching a movie from the 30s, things were different in the 30s. So 
even if you were actually went back in time in the 30s, things would be different. So the cars are different. The clothes are different. Gestures are different. Slang is different. Um, all these things are different. Uh, oh, they don't have cell phones. Oh, they don't have this. Oh, they don't have that. Oh, they don't have television. Whatever it is, all those things are barriers between you and it often, right? Like, I can't identify with any of this. But if a story is well told, everything in it is human, right? And so it doesn't matter. Still people. They, they're still people. And they're still going to have people issues and people concerns. And they're going to behave and have the motivations of human beings that human beings have always had. There may be a different mm -hmm. system of government. There may be whatever, whatever you're watching. There, all those things may be different, but it's what matters is always the same. And yeah. once you can get past the facade, what's on the front, what's on the outside of the story, once you can get into the story, it's amazing what happens. And it changes you enough when you do it enough that it's very hard to come out of it and watch new stuff. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that is less well done. It, yes. It's, right. Yeah, you almost can't stomach it. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's been really interesting because, you know, I mean, I don't know if we've ever talked before this about the show, but, like, my wife, you know, Katie, she likes, you know, Real Housewives and all that kind of stuff, and I just cannot handle it, mm -hmm. right? And really, for the last month and a half or so, we've just, every night, we just watch a Columbo. And it was funny because a couple of nights ago, she was like, it's actually really hard for me to like go back after watching these. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, that's cool. Like, Oh, that's yeah. awesome. You're starting to realize like the stuff I was watching is not great. And once you get used to it and it took a little while, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Once you get used to it, you're like, these are dynamite. So I was home yesterday and she's like, I was like, what do you want to watch? You know, tonight? she's like, I already finished that. I was like, wait, she's skipping ahead now. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, so it went from like, Hey, watch this with me to it's like, hold on a second. Like when did that, what's going on? Um, but, uh, but, but you, what kind of prompted this conversation too is a couple of days, I think maybe even yesterday you were talking about, I think it was, was it David Blaine and what he did when he wanted to get better? Yeah. Well, um, when he, you, when he got his first television special. Can you so, talk about what he did? Yeah. So when, uh, David Blaine, uh, the magician who stopped doing magic for some reason, uh, and started doing stunts. I don't, don't and nobody, nobody likes it but him but 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 he's he's uh an interesting magician magicians will say he's not the best magician but that's another that's for them to work out here's what's great about him so when he from what i understand before he was a famous guy what he used to do was he used to go into the hip clubs in in new york and like dazzle people with a couple of illusions and then leave and then like it became this thing like who's that guy it's that guy you know uh, and he got enough notoriety and enough sort of fame through that that um, he got offered uh, a TV special. A lot of magic, um, a lot of people don't like magic on television. The thing about magic on television is um, you don't know if there's tricks happening. You don't know what's going on. You know, and it's usually it's it's a picture of the stage or whatever. And it's like, nah, it's a lady now. It's a tiger. You know, it's, you know, and it's, um, it has a kind of artificial quality to it. Anyway, so what David Blaine did is he went to the Museum of Broadcasting in New York. Um, I'm not sure where it is in New York. I've, I've, I've never been to it. I'd like to go to it. Anyway, he went to the Museum of Broadcasting and, and um, watched 
all the magic he could that had been on television. And, you know, you, as television's been around a while now, so you could watch yeah. a lot of magic on TV. And he did that to figure out what other people had done. And he made a change. Because he was able to look at all of this stuff, the change he was able to make was instead of having the camera on the magician and having the magician be the show, David Blaine turned it around on the, the audience. And it was the reaction of people that made those shows work. So if you watch mm -hmm. one of those, it's, it's everybody going, oh, my God. And, and what's interesting, too, is that he, he traveled to all these different places. So he goes to foreign countries and he goes to all these different places. And what I think is great about it is that human beings respond the same no matter where they are. Yeah. And that it's a way of saying that we're all the same. Um, yep. And I think that was actually, if he had an armature, that's what it was. That's what his stuff is and, built around. So, yeah, and, but, and this, but it was the yeah. research that made him able to do that. He went and he did that. He watched all the old black and white specials on ABC or whatever. Like, he went and he saw it all. Mm -hmm. And that's where the breakthrough came from, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and, and I want to preface this by saying, too, like, when we talk about this step as far as, like, changing your diet, this is the difference between um, doing it because you truly love it and want to master it or getting good enough at the lingo to get by. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of folks that you and I work with and have worked with in the past where they'll be really excited about story, right? And I know you and I both know exactly who we're talking about, the folks we're talking about. And they'll learn enough of the lingo and spend, you know, a few months getting into it. But this is the one thing none of them do. None of them will go back and actually watch the references. None right. of them will do the research. So they get good enough to be the best story guy at their organization or to be the best story guy yeah. in their friend group and have all the lingo, but they'll never understand it because mm -hmm. they don't love it enough to actually do what David Blaine did. You said Chris Rock did something similar, right? Right. Chris Rock uh, used to go, he maybe still does, I don't know, go to the Museum of Broadcasting and, and look at stand-ups and look at all the stand-ups and what they did and what they were doing and, and um, learned a lot about, you know, particular stand-ups. It's like, oh, this guy is always vulnerable, and that seems to work. Maybe I need to do more of that. And, you know, um, just seeing what worked throughout history. When David Letterman got his, his show, his first late-night show, he had a morning show nobody remembers but me and him. <laughs> so, like, like, I pretended to be sick. Uh, and didn't go to school, so I watched David Letterman's morning show. So <laughs> I remember that show. Uh, but he, when he got his late night show, he went to uh, the Museum of Broadcasting and looked at all of the old late night That's shows. That's crazy. So, Him too, huh? Yeah. So he looked at um, Steve, the Steve Allen show. Uh, Steve Allen more or less invented the late night format that we think of. Um, like Steve Allen invented from what I understand, invented the playover, which is when the, the, the host comes out, gives the monologue, and then says, and say hello to the band, you know, that thing. That was Steve Allen because, uh, as, as I understand it anyway, that was Steve Allen because he thought, well, I'll finish my monologue, and then I've got to walk to my desk, and people have to look at my back, right? So that playover is a way to cover so that the host can go to their desk Smart. and start talking. Yeah, that's right. So, um, and it's also nice to know what it's for instead of just copying 
the format, yeah, right. understanding yeah. why it exists. Uh, because if you wanted to change it, let's say you didn't want to do that, you'd still have the same problem. Well, they're going to be looking at my back. What else can we do? Right. Yep. So, so understanding why it's there will help you come up with solutions. But anyway, he looked at uh, Jack Parr, who was a Tonight Show host uh, early on. Um, he might have been the second one after Steve Allen. I think Steve Allen started the Tonight Show, and then it was Jack Parr. Um, and then I think Johnny Carson replaced Jack Parr. But uh, but he looked at all that stuff and and figured out what they did. And there's stuff on the early Letterman show. It is almost exactly stuff that Steve Allen had done in the 50s. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. But I'm telling you, that's the difference, right, between being good enough to be a stand-up and being good enough to host The Tonight Show. Or, right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's the difference is, are you willing to take that step, right? Yeah. Because um, that will make uh, – it's the same thing. I'm sure it's the same thing with, a, with like, a personal trainer or something where they're like, hey, you got to eat better. And you're like, yeah, okay. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It's like fresh fruits. This isn't, oh, well, it's going to take a lot of time. And, you know, and I got to go to the grocery store more than once a month. And, and they're like, yeah, do you want to live longer? And, well, yeah, I just don't want to go through all the work of like chopping vegetables and washing. Food. It's like, it's probably the same frustration they're having. It's like, well, then you don't actually want to do it. Right. Right. It's like, well, if you've got three of the greats right there and what they do, they'll do mm -hmm. the same thing. Why I got to see it all. Like it, it was funny the other night I was watching Columbo mm -hmm. and you'll, you'll know this reference. Uh, but there's a, there's one where he goes, there's like this cannon explodes at a oh, military yeah. school. Yeah, cannon, yeah. And there's this guy, he's a jerk. And it was funny cause they're trying to cement this character and what a jerk he is. And he does this thing where he wakes up all the kids at night and he's looking for a bottle of cider. Like one of the kids. Oh, oh, uh, right, of cider. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's mutiny. Like, that's the cane mutiny. That's the cane mutiny. I was yeah. like, oh, that's the strawberries from the cane mutiny. I bet you the writers had seen the cane mutiny, right? Of course they did. Of course they the had. The strawberry scene and go, oh, we could take that and use it in a little different way. And I was sitting there going like, damn, like when you can start to, and I'm sure that the, on the K mutiny, they were like, Oh, you never read the book where they, it's like when you can <laughs> right. trace all those things back, but yeah. I'm sitting there going like, I, I sent you a video too of the producer who did, um, Columbo. And he was like, yeah, we had to do five, one and a half hour long specials in what, four months or something crazy something like, like that. that. Yeah. Something crazy like that. And I was like, wow, num a number one, those specials are insane. But the fact they were kicking about that fast, the only way they can move that fast is they had enough references in their head to go, I have to solve this problem, right? right? Just, like, just like the other, here's the problem. They're looking at my back. Okay, I need to solve a problem. I need to cement this guy's a real jerk, right. right? And then he's losing it. Oh, remember that movie? Remember they did the strawberry thing? Yeah. And Mutiny on the Cake? What if we could, it's like when you have that stuff in your head, you can keep up with a timeline like that. You can keep up with, that's what it means to be a professional, yeah. right? It's like, it's, you can hit your deadlines, Right. You can mm -hmm. solve problems quickly, you know. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and you can also. Uh, yeah. Because the problems have all been solved before. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's a if, great way of looking at it. And yeah. if you know how they've been solved, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Right. So maybe you have five references where you go, well, hot, wait, this story, they did it like this. This story, they did it like this. This story they did, you know, what we could do is a combination or a whatever. Like, yeah. you know, um, if you look at um, Indiana Jones, 
I, I can't say Raiders of the Lost Ark anymore because George Lucas changed the name of it, so people don't know it's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. They, they, it's what they really? don't know. What I'm talking, yeah, because he changed the name to he changed the name to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark after the other movies started coming out. Um, but anyway, um, but people my age say Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, but other people go, what? Yeah. what are you saying? What are you talking about? But anyway, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, if you if you look at that, the first movie that Spielberg ever saw in the theater was um, was um, oh, why can't I think of I can't think of the movie, the circus movie. No, I can't think of it. Cecil B. DeMille circus movie. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Greatest uh, greatest show on earth. Uh, greatest show on earth. Yeah. Thank you. Greatest, greatest show, show on earth. earth. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Charlton Heston is the lead in that. Carlton Heston's costume is exactly the same as Indiana Jones's costume. That's hilarious. It's the same costume, That's which amazing. is not which is not very different from Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart's costume in Treasure of Sierra Madre. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. right, and so and so. What's interesting is that when Raiders came out, for people my age, it even was like African a, Queen, he has a hat. Like, yeah, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So you know, when when that came out it blew us away like wow it was something new but it was not new at all <laughs> like, like it was not new at all it was referencing all of this old stuff but it felt new to us um and that's the other thing that can happen if you if you know enough older things you can reintroduce it and it's brand new to people yeah oh yeah it's like the opening it's like in uh goodfellas when um when you're, you know, you have like great train robbery, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the scene where uh, Joe Pesci's oh, shooting yeah. right at the, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that's a great way to set up a character going back to the beginning. Yeah, that's right? the beginning. That's like the first, practically yeah. the first movie, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> that right. was a movie. But, yeah. But he has it. But Scorsese's mm-hmm. got it. Scorsese you know? has so many references, yeah. you know, that he knows every shot from every movie probably ever made it's crazy right. yeah it's you know crazy. and it's all yeah. in there but so does spielberg and so does they all yeah. do all those people at the top have that they all have those references mm-hmm. they they never say I'm, i've never i've never seen that billy wilder movie <laughs> yeah yeah you know what exactly. i mean yeah can you imagine <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they those guys would stop inviting you out for coffee like <laughs> you yeah. said that if you were yeah. in their company like ah, yeah Person yeah, I was hack. talking to James Cameron. I asked him if he ever saw Double Indemnity, and he's like, "No, never even heard of it." It's like, <laughs> that was ne- said none of those get those people ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, but it makes sense, right? If you know, I need to be ready, right? I need to be so prepared. Having those references, can you imagine how many times having those references in Scorsese's head saved his butt? Oh yeah. Can you even like think about the pressure? A you know. He's, he's Martin Scorsese, but like how many times was he stuck on something and he goes, oh, wait, oh, that's right. Fellini did this or Truffaut did that or you name it, right? Yeah. Hitchcock did this. That reminds me of, I, I think I've mentioned it on the show, but it's worth mentioning again, which is uh, the retrograde zoom shot in Jaws. I used to have this argument with people I, I used to hang out with and, and uh, they would say that that shot in Jaws was a Hitchcock shot. And I said it wasn't. Um, and because what they were talking about was the, the technical thing and which is, yes, it's exactly technically what Hitchcock did. So the retrograde zoom is that thing you've seen where a character is standing or there or something and the background sort of warps behind them. And that's, um, that's 
the camera is sort of as uh, dollying in, moving in, and the and the the lens is sort of zooming out, and you know, anyway, it creates this illusion of the uh, warped background. We're used to that now, but Hitchcock invented it, it for or his camera, whoever. But they they invented it on the movie Vertigo. As far as I know, that's where it came from, Vertigo. Mm-hmm. And and um, there's a, there's a scene in that movie where Jimmy Stewart is walking up these stairs, and Jimmy Stewart is afraid of heights, and he's walking up these stairs of this big tower, and he looks down, and it's a point of view shot, so you're looking now, you're looking down the stairwell and it stretches and then you cut to Jimmy Stewart's reaction. That's a very Hitchcock kind of cut, right? Show somebody looking at something, show the thing, show their reaction. That's a very Hitchcock right. thing. In Jaws, and that's the, this is the first time I know of it being used this way. Maybe somebody used it before, but I, as far as I know, this is the first time. I had never seen it before I saw Jaws, which is um, in Jaws, the sheriff is on the beach and um, he, somebody says shark and he's concerned and you cut to him and then the retrograde zoom happens and all the background warps behind him. And, and what I said that made those shots different was that uh, Hitchcock's was an actual point of view. This is what the character is seeing. Spielberg's was a, an emotional point of view. This is what the character is feeling. That's a fundamentally different way to use the shot. However, Spielberg had that in his head to use because he knew Hitchcock yeah. so well. Yep. Right. So, right. and now everybody uses it all the time. I think it gets overused. Yeah. Right, um, sure. Yeah. But that's but that's just it it and and like I I think that this the more that well, really, the longer that I've gotten to learn from you and we've been friends, it's like, and the more the people I've seen learn this stuff, right? Um, this is the difference. If there was one thing, Brian, it's like, what's the difference? This is the difference between somebody getting good enough to impress their friends. It's like learning one coin trick, right? right, right. Good enough to impress their friends or actually caring enough about what it is right to genuinely get good like try to like want it down in their bones good the difference is the actually taking the effort right mm-hmm. to get on a good diet of content right and i'm sure this is the same thing i'm sure if you talk to physical trainers they'd say yeah i mean we have people that come in here and they work out like crazy but every night they're eating ding dongs and hoes it's like it's <laughs> right. never gonna you right. know, you've got to commit to it mm-hmm. if you really want to master it you've got to commit to it and this is the part, like how many times have we been in some sort of environment, right? Where you're like, oh, you should see this. And they go, yeah, but it's not on Hulu. And you're like, okay, well, figure it out. I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. find, you know, go to the library or whatever. It's like, if you're not willing to put that much effort forward, that's it. You're done. You well, know? The, th- the thing is to know that about yourself, to say, oh, I don't, I don't love it that much to do that i you know and that's yeah that's that's fine great but don't call yourself a pro if you're not willing to do the work a pro will do and that's and that's it if you want to be a hobbyist well you know well carl said that right and again i'm I'm, there's just so many good quotes from the interviews you've been doing but like when carl said like 
like he's like what it what I wanted I wanted this thing right I wanted to be able to show up on my worst day and still hit my deadlines and still do a great job mm-hmm. like right and it was like whoa he was like that's what it means <laughs> right. you know and again this guy wrote the jerk and Jaws <laughs> and he was like what is it what did what was my goal my goal is to be so good that on my worst day I'm going to show up you probably remember the exact quote he said but like in essence that's what I took from it. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, show up and I'm going to do my job, mm-hmm. regardless of how yeah. I feel about it that day. Yeah. Um, and that comes from l- lots of things. It's, it's reps. It's how much you've written and how much you've done and all of that. But it's also references. It is what you know. Um, it also makes you confident in a lot of ways about what's working because you can think of several examples of it working. Like a lot of the right. times I've noticed what people will say to me, I don't know if that's going to work. And I'm like, I have eight examples in my head of it working. Mm-hmm. I'm not guessing. So they think it's like oh, this yeah. crazy confidence that comes out of nowhere, but it's not. It's like, well, Spielberg did it and Hitchcock did it. And this person oh, yeah. did it. You know, you know Whoever what I mean? Wrote that Columbia episode knew that was going to work. Yes. They knew that was going to work. Oh, well, I mean, me and the on the canes, amazing. And, it's like, I know it'll work. Like and when <laughs> right. you were moving at that clip that those folks were moving at, right? I mean, think about that hour and a half long special. I think they did five and four and a half months. It was like <laughs> the producer said it was the worst summer of his life. Yeah. But if you're moving at that clip, writing, shooting, like all that, you cannot afford to go, hey, I'm going to go down to the broadcast museum and spend a couple months down there before <laughs> I write this. Yeah. Right. The time to do that is before yeah. Letterman had the contract. It was before Rock had the big opportunity on HBO. It was before David Blake, like, you know, say it's like, if you're lucky when you have the downtime, this is the time to get all that in. Right. Yeah. Because when you get that once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, it's like in a week, I need you to turn this around and you go, Oh crap. I should have gone down to the museum and done this or that. <laughs> right. You know, now, now's the time. There's a point and you, you've talked, you, you're talking about it a little bit, but there's a, at first it will feel like homework. That's just what exactly. it feels like. That's but right. but then it doesn't. It then it becomes a kind of a treasure hunt. It's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes it's not homework, and you can't quite like I have to do mm-hmm. this thing. It's like people who who have to jog, right? Like I got to jog. It's yeah. it's raining outside. It's snowing outside. I got to jog though. I it, it becomes yeah. more like that where it's not a chore, um, and you have to get past the point where it's a chore. Um, yeah. And once you get past that, once you break that wall. Um, it's like a whole world opens up. I, I swear to you, it's like a whole it's world. It's just up. like a diet or working out. It's the same exact, same exact thing. It's like, you yeah. talk. I know friends that are runners and they're just like, man, you got to just try. Once you get there, once you start running and you hit that point, you'll be a runner the rest of your life. And it's like, eh, yeah, I don't love it enough to, you know, right. clearly look at me, to, you know, <laughs> and that's okay. Right? right. But it's, it's that, and it's like, and, but I don't think they're lying. I don't think they're lying you know? either. I don't think they're lying either. It's just, it's just you have to decide. Yeah, you have to decide. Oh, do I love it that much? And if you don't, just make your peace with that. Right. <laughs> and yeah. say, oh, I don't love it enough to get good at it. You know, um, yeah. I, I, had, uh, I have a friend who's an illustrator. Um, he's, a, he's a story artist at Pixar now. But when he was in art school, he, um, he uh, maybe I mentioned it before, but when he was in art school, uh, he wanted to do comics. And uh, he would always do these figures and, they were good. He could always draw. He was always very good. And uh, I went into his dorm room one day and he was doing these figures. 
And I said, you want to do comics, right? He's like, yeah. And I go, but you never draw environments. He's like, oh, man. I go, you got to draw people in environments, right? Like, there's going to be environments. And they help tell the story. And he's like, oh, yeah. And then I saw him a week later, and he had a sketchbook full of environments he had drawn. He just went out and just drew and drew and drew and drew and drew and drew. And And I will tell you, I've known a lot of illustrators in my life. And I've known a lot of really great ones. And the great ones draw all the time. It's mileage. It's how much they draw all the time. They always have yeah. a sketchbook. They always, you know, um, yeah, always, always. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember yeah, I, I once had a mentor who said, he was like, is there any advice? Like, but I just keep reminding they're like, always have a book. He's like, if you're waiting at the dentist's office, you got the book. You can look at it. If you're waiting, uh, you know, for your pizza, you got your book. He's like, he's like, you need to be going through a book a week. And I was like, what? That seemed crazy to me. And now mm-hmm. it's like whenever I'm in my car, if I'm by myself, I'm listening to a book. If I'm yeah. like, and then all of a sudden it's like once you get in the rhythm of that, you're like, oh, okay, got it. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, it, you have to, you have to kind of make that choice. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing wrong with making the other choice, but understand what that means. Right? And, and understand this. Understand this. If you want to be an actor, writer, director, you name it, you're going up against a bunch of people that were willing to make the other decision. Yeah, it's true. You're going up against, like if you want to be a comedian and, and you don't know who Red Skelton is, that's a problem. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a problem. Like it, it's just basic, you know, stuff, right? Right. Um, <laughs> right. I'm not want to be a comedian, but I'm just telling you, it's like, I know who Red Skelton is, but, but I'm just saying like, this is all, this stuff will matter because at some point having that reference, you'll go, Remember how Red Skelton built that whole thing where he'd wear the hat and he would do the drunk routine? What if I did something like this, except I turned it and I blah, 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 right? Right. Boom. You can get yourself out of trouble. It's literally survival information. Yeah. Right? It's all these people, like, a hundred some odd years of people just going, here you go. Here's how to do it. I figured out a way to make it work. And yeah. you're like, thank you, thank you, all day long. Yeah. And so that's leading us to this idea we, we want to do, which is just the 30-day story challenge, right? It's almost like we're going to put together a diet. Right. And we're going to link to it if anybody wants to look at it. And we're just and it's just 30 days of movies or TV shows or episodes. And then there's one thing to look for, because uh, what we also want to do is set you up to be able to watch it and go. I want you to we want you to be able to see the thing, because a lot of times, Brian, like, you know, you'd be like, Jesse, watch this. And I'd be like, I watched it. I don't know. And you're like this scene is like, oh, once you would point out, I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't really catch that. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, see how they visualize what was inside of his mind. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. So we're going to give you a prompt, mm-hmm. right? Watch how they communicated this thing. Look at how, it's like we talked about in Stagecoach, right? Yeah. Okay, so you have a problem. You know, you have to explain that this person is a, you know, a prostitute and she's getting kicked out of town and you can't say any of that stuff, right? And you have to do it. It's, how do you do it? It's like, well, here's how he solved it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like whatever those things are. So there's going to be a prompt with every movie or show, right, for mm-hmm. people to watch. Um, and just like any diet, uh, we'd love to hear how after 30 days, how it changed the way people like maybe started rewiring how, what, what people are seeing, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And what they can uh, really also, how their tastes are evolving, I think would right. be really interesting too. Well, it, it, it does become cumulative, cumulative, right? So people often think, oh, I'll watch this and I'll know that or I'll watch it. It's like, no, what, you'll start to see a pattern of quality. Quality has a certain... It feels a certain way and you'll start to be able to feel it. And in fact, if people were on this diet 
and then went back to something more recent, they would see, um, they'll see the deficiencies. So like I did one of these interviews we were talking about and I'm a person who, uh, and you know, I, Believe me, I don't like being this person. I don't like the reputation of being this person who doesn't like anything, right? Which isn't true, right? But um, I don't tend to like a lot of stuff that gets made now. Um, I think there's a sensibility issue. There's a, you know, I just don't. And, and everybody says this is the golden age of television, and I don't believe that. I don't see that. I don't see evidence of that. And partially, it's because I have really good examples in my head of how to do it well. And, and so I suppose in a vacuum, when you don't know stuff, right, because you haven't seen it, you go, that's really good. And I go, I know 10 examples of that very thing done better. I have them all in my head. Yeah. You can watch, oh, that's in black and white, isn't it? Well, you'll never know that. But I have 10 examples of that working better. You know, and so like one of the things, like uh, I get one of our, uh, one of the, the people I spoke to uh, was getting on me about this. It's like, are you saying there's so many shows? Are you saying there's nothing you like, you know, uh, and no dramas? And I, I couldn't think of one at the moment. But but uh, later, like things happen sometimes. Uh, later, I, I thought of uh, Chernobyl. Yeah, right? Chernobyl was great. Yeah, Right? But Chernobyl did there's all There's some the, amazing work in Chernobyl. But it did all the things that I see missing from things. So, yeah. so, so it's like, and people who don't know what I'm talking about will say that old fashioned stuff won't work anymore. You know, it's like, you don't know what I'm saying. You, you know, um, <laughs> they do these things, for instance, in order to get you to understand how dangerous a particular situation was on Chernobyl, they would always tell you ahead of time. Yeah. It was structured in a way. So the way I see things written now is you might see some people, uh, uh, naked in a cave going through water and whatever. And the way most people do it is later they tell you that was highly radioactive. And you know, that's what they tell you. Chernobyl, they'll say that's the most radioactive thing in the world. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then uh -huh. you see people and then you, you, then you can have an emotional response because oh, what man. I, what yeah. I see often is you don't have, you don't have an emotional response. What you have is you have a response that tells you this should be emotional. So you go, oh, that, that would be sad. Oh, that would, that would be scary. Oh, that right. would, right? You have an intellectual idea of, oh, that's, and it's all up here, right? But once you say, like there's one thing in, in, in Chernobyl where they're talking about the roof of this building where this meltdown was, and they have to have these workers go up and uh, get rid of some of this debris, yeah, and there's a conversation about it, and um, and this guy says uh, at the end of that conversation, he says, "So what you're saying is that rooftop is the most dangerous place on earth right now." Yeah, that's right. Now, cut two people yeah, having to go totally. right, right. Yeah, that's what I mostly don't see. I don't see that. So what happens yeah. is I see people running on that roof, and then in most things, yeah. what I see is afterwards they go, "That's the most dangerous place on earth." I'm like, that would have been nice to know ahead of time. That would have been nice to yes, know before. Right. There's actually uh, a first, like, yeah. there's that other scene where they're, they're coming in on the bus and they're like, wear these masks. You know, this is, this is the most, you know, radioactive spot in the world or whatever. And then he comes into the trailer and b before that scene, remember he goes, 
these people are miners, you know, they work in the dark and they see everything like yeah. don't lie to them. Don't lie to Unbelievable them. Yeah. writing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God. But then when he comes in, they have this conversation and he goes, do these masks work? And he's like, yes. And then at the end he throws the mask to him and he goes, if they were, if they worked, you would have been wearing one. And he walks out and I was like, that's how you build a scene, man. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. you know I mean, they yeah. set it up. Yeah. Giving them the masks on their way. In. It was like exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But I remember when Chernobyl came out going like, how I remember the first episode came out and there was no one really talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, Chernobyl. I started watching. I was like, who is this? like, what is mm-hmm. going on right now? I'm so used to HBO stuff. Just being like held up by like naked people yeah. or ultra violence or just shock. And yeah. all of a sudden I was like, what is going on with this show? We started talking about it. It's like, there's something going on with this show. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they, they, it was so well done all the way through. I mean, because that's ultimately all we want, right? Right. It's, Dude, I just saw the best show. You got to <laughs> right. see this. It's yeah. awesome. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it, feel, it felt like that was a way bigger hit than maybe they'd anticipated it being. Yeah. Because I just didn't hear about it. All I heard about was Game of Thrones and stuff. Um, but then yeah. all of a sudden you started seeing a couple weeks in, people started going like, hey, this show, Chernobyl. Because the good stuff will always rise to the top. Like, it will. Given enough time, mm-hmm. the good stuff will always rise to the top. Yeah, know? I think that's true. And, and that's all I'm talking about, right? So, so that's what I mean. So I can imagine the other version of Chernobyl that was the reverse, the scenes in reverse, like we we're talking about, right? And I can imagine a bunch of people saying, you should see it, it's really good. And me watching it going, it's not really good because in my mind, I can see the other version. Yeah. Right? Well, I hear this a lot. We were, we were talking to somebody and they were like, yeah, I hear what you're saying where the first act needs to have the armature, you know, either dramatized or said. And they're like, but I preferred if really you don't hear the armature till the third act. And it was like, when did that start being a thing? Right? Where you're right. like, you have to wait through an hour and a half or something. And they're like, and the point of this was this. And you're like, what if I didn't wait an hour and a half? What if you talk to me? <laughs> right. right? And so things will meander. And then they'll have this really profound armature statement at the end of a movie. And you're like, God, if you would have just had something that told me that at the beginning – yeah. Like, oh, my God, we were talking about A Star is Born, the original Star is Born. Ri- Nobody that, watches the original Star is Born. Get out of here. It's so good. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I'd only seen the other ones. And you're like, you got to watch the first one. And I was like, all right, cool. So I watched it. And I was like, I think I was texting. I was like, get out of here. <laughs> the first act of that movie, they stated the armature three or four different ways. Yeah. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Grandma says it. The agent says it. And Grandma won't get off the subject. She keeps <laughs> going, do you understand what I'm talking about? This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Right? You know, you, you, yeah. the pursuit of your dreams is going to break your heart. The manager, you go to the manager's office, pursuit of your dreams is going to break your heart. But it's like over and over and over again. And you're like, I know exactly what this movie is going to be. And talk about a great movie, man. Like, it's so much better than the other ones. And I it's, thought you couldn't do better. Like, you know, because I was like, oh, well, how do you do better than, you know, the, than the Judy the Garland, one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah just because Judy, it's Judy Garland. But I was like, nope, this yeah. one's insane. <laughs> it's, isn't that? I try to Man. tell people, but they were like, that was made in the thirties. I'm like, there's a reason they keep remaking it. And here's, what's interesting. Yeah. This is a really good example of what I'm talking about because that's a thing where I actually have a real world. No, it was done better. Right. So when I saw the new a star is born, I was like, that's not as good. Oh, I liked it. I thought it was good. Have you seen the original? Well, no. Well then what are you talking about? You don't even know what you're saying. Yeah. And so I love macaroni and cheese. You ever had a steak? No. But I'm telling you, it can't be as good as macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Uh, right. Cool. I don't know what to do with that. Because what happens in, in, um, in the new version of A Star is Born is that 
the first thing that happens essentially to that character is she's discovered. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's essentially like she gives one performance and is like hanging out with the big star and right. That's not the way the original works, right? No. There's a struggle. Oh my god. Yeah. They do some stuff in that movie, man. Oh, yeah. oh my god. And the so the first act of that movie, they hold on as long as they possibly can. Yeah. For her for a breakthrough. Yeah. On top of that, it, they did exactly – God, these guys are so good. Like, they did exactly – it worked exactly the way they wanted it to. Mm -hmm. First time I see her, I was like, she's not a star. This isn't, this isn't going to work. You know what I mean? <laughs> Without even noticing, by the end of the film, she's like, how, could, how is she not the biggest star in the world? Like, th mm -hmm. the way that they built that movie, masterful. I mean, it's yeah. like – it's unbelievable. My Fair Lady has some shit like that in it, too, where it's like mm -hmm. she becomes a flower over the course of the film, and you're like, get out of – whoever did that? <laughs> Is it such a different level to be thinking like that? Right. But you that's know? something like, you can use, man. right? When you see that, oh, oh there's yeah. a transition. Oh, then you're having a conversation. You're making a piece and you go, remember in A Star is Born or in uh, My Fair Lady where she becomes a flower? Is there a way we can transition the character that's like that? Like, that's then, what happens you know what when you funny? have more of a... I connect the dots on those two until you said that. Mm -hmm. They both do the same thing. Even if you look at the outfits yeah. in the first act of... From My Fair Lady and A Star Is Born, they even had similar like cuts and like it's the talk about okay, so you have the problem. I need to transform a character from nothing into you know the biggest version of a star or whatever. How do you do that? Watch A Star Is Born, watch My Fair Lady, <laughs> like and all of a sudden you're like, got it. That's right. how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's uh. The <laughs> There's uh, uh, Lowell Gaines and Babalu Mandel, who are two amazing screenwriters. Uh, they, they wrote the movie Parenthood. And, and they wrote a lot of things. City Slickers, Parenthood, Splash, um, uh, A League of Their Own. But they, uh, they love yeah. the original Dick Van Dyke show. And that's, when they were kids, that was the show. You know, they were coming up watching that show and um, made them want to be writers, uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. A lot of, it made a lot of people want to be writers because it's about a comedy writer. So that's, you know, but there's a, there's an episode of that show where uh, there's a birthday party and they can't get the performer who was going to perform at the birthday party. And so uh, the dad has to be the performer. Yeah. That's also in parenthood. Right, right, right. If, if you <laughs> yeah. see parenthood, it's also in parenthood. And these, these guys were big Dick Van Dyke show fans. Right. So they had something they could. Now it's different because Dick Van Dyke's a very different kind of person than Steve Martin. Right. You know, so it's different and they do different things. But, you know, and it's one of the most memorable <laughs> sections of Parenthood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but they had no, something that the more reference you have, the more references you have, the better yeah, off yeah. you're going to be. It's just yeah, yep. you'll just be better um, because it allows you to get in a way more hours in than you could in your lifetime. Yeah. You know? And the access we have, Brian. I mean, the <laughs> access. We used to talk, I mean, because we both spent most of our, our, our lives growing up in Seattle, right? It's like we talk about, like, you'd have to go down to Scarecrow Video or there was the Cinema Books or there was these places that maybe you could find a copy of. Like, it's like, now it's like, it's all right there. Like, what do you want to watch? I, I don't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. Because I remember when it was hard to see stuff. 
I remember being like, oh, I, I read about this movie, but I can't see it. And it would just, there would be no way to see it. Um, and now it really is. It's not streaming. <laughs> right. Like, like, in the, like, I don't know how yeah. to see it. Um, it makes me. Well, the library has one, but that's like six blocks away. And you're like, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, totally. You know, um, yeah, I used to do anything to get a hold of, you know, and, you know, I was a kid before you could watch movies at home, like other than on what came on TV. Right. So um, yeah. it was very difficult. Like sometimes they would play, bring stuff back in a theater, um, like an old movie. There used to be a place that that's all they did is show old movies. And so. Um, and that was the only way to see them. And you got to see stuff in the theater. So I saw like my first real Charlie Chaplin feature films in a theater. And, you know, I got to see all that stuff in a theater. So um, which was really nice. I, I, I hope one day that kind of thing comes back because it was pretty cool to see that stuff projected and to see it with an audience, yeah. and see the reactions and everything. But I, I would I would go over, you know, hell and high water to see that stuff. And uh, and now the smallest amount of effort is too much effort and I don't understand it. Um, I, I know I sound like an old curmudgeon, but that's a real thing. I don't understand it. Um, yeah. uh, I used to, um, as a kid, uh, you could, uh, a film, actual film, you could get a film, uh, from the, from the library, an actual film, but you could get a projector. So an actual old film projector, you could, but you had to take a little class to learn how to run it and stuff. And I did that. Like I found out you could do it. I'm like, what? So I figured out how to run the projector. I took their class and I would, I would get the projector and get movies, old silent movies so cool. um, and, and project them and watch them and study them. Uh, I don't know how old I was, probably 13, maybe when I started doing that, something like that, 12, 13. Um, and I so saw, cool. saw a lot of Buster Keaton, saw a lot of Charlie Chaplin, saw a lot, saw all that stuff. Um, Man. You know, and seeing it, it on film like that is magic too. It is. Like the individual frames, there's something about it. Like, I, I think I, I told you, I was like, my, my friend Emily, she was going to the UCLA and I dropped her off there because I could never get no fancy like school. She was in the master's program and I was waiting for her to give her a ride after class and I was walking around in the movie theater there, and I was just like, oh, you know, there's people walking in. And I walked in, and they're watching on the waterfront in, like, an old print that's still, like, the scratches and stuff. And I remember just, like, sitting down going, oh, my God. These people, this is, like, what they do for school. Mm-hmm. They get to see the original, and the, there's, like, a spirit to it when it's, like, on film like that. Yeah. You know, that's just insane. Um, but I would say this. With the new series that's going to start next next episode, if you don't believe us, listen to the Masters because it's called Masters of the Craft for a reason. I mean, the people you're talking to are all insane people. I think we could talk about some of the folks that are on. Like you want to, yeah. right? Yeah, you might as well. Like like uh, um, the first one, or well, let me say this before I list these people. Watch for their references. If you don't, if you don't believe us, listen for their references. Listen to how the real the folks at the at the top, how they talk about, well, you know, have you seen this? And I watch this and this really influenced me And this. And like, listen to what they're saying. Ask yourself the question, are they talking about stuff that's happening right now? Or are they talking about stuff that had happened in the past? Right. Just not just a thing to look for, right. A, a clue to listen for. Um, but you've been with, with COVID going on and with all of your friends and you know, all these crazy people, 
you've been doing a ton of these interviews that people are going to start to see really over the course of like the next year, I think, because you've been just having the crazy ones. <laughs> the first one is with Danny Rubin. Can you talk about who Danny Rubin is and why you picked him as your first kind of guest? Danny Rubin is the screenwriter who uh, wrote Groundhog Day, what he's most famous for is Groundhog Day. Uh, he also wrote the, the Broadway play version of Groundhog Day. Uh, and he actually, I've never seen it, but he really feels like he made some improvements on the movie. Uh, when he did the play in some ways. But um, but Danny is, uh, first of all, he couldn't be a nicer human being. Um, but he really couldn't. Uh, just, a, just a cool dude who um, I met back when I did my, uh, the EG conference where I gave my, that talk, that lecture. And, and he was there, a very humble uh, guy. He came up to me, liked my talk and started talking to me. And uh, I asked him, uh, you know, I'm polite and asked him what he, what he did. And he's on the screenwriter. I'm like, Oh yeah. What's your name? It's like Danny Rubin. I'm like, dude, you wrote groundhog day. Like I knew who he was. <laughs> and, uh, but we kept in touch and stuff. And, and uh, when I asked him to do the, do the show, he was very cool about it. He was happy to do it. And it was a, a really great conversation. So I can't wait for people to see it because it was a really great conversation. We'll hear it depending on how they get this show. But um, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just a really cool dude who, talks about you know everybody's talking about the nuts and bolts of the job um and the way they talk think about why why and so this is going to be this is going to be the transition that people are going to see where like i'm interviewing you and then there's mm -hmm. going to be an episode where you're interviewing the master of craft and then i'm going to be interviewing you again and then there's going to be we're going to be going between this and i'm hoping that there's also going to be opportunities for me to ask you questions of when this person said this help me understand that more because when you're talking to these folks Mm -hmm. Right. You, you, you both will like mention something and be like, Oh, that's really great. And I'm like, I want to talk more about that. And so I see probably a lot of that kind of stuff happening in, in the, in the in-between episodes. Mm -hmm. um, but who are some of the other people that folks can look forward to that you talk to? Right. Sure. We mentioned Carl, right? Yeah. Carl Godley, uh, Danny Rubin, um, Ronnie Del Carmen, who's amazing. And people who don't know Ronnie, Ronnie's a story artist. Um, uh, Pixar story artist who um, is largely responsible for that opening uh, sequence in Up in the movie Up. I mean, he did a lot. He's done a lot of things, but he's that's crazy. Yeah, he, yeah. He's he, that's a lot of him in there. Um, just uh, an amazing, and he was great to talk to too. Just and uh, also, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to keep saying they're the nicest guy in the world, but everybody I've talked yeah. to. As a re they're just really sweet people too so um and, and also people i would just want to talk to so part of the deal is instead of getting into all the people part of the deal is i mean i will but i was working with um with uh an animator working with glenn Keane on a project years ago and um it was strange for me because i was a fan and uh he asked me to work on this movie with him and then I found myself in this interesting position where I'm a professional. I got to help him with his story, but I also am a fan. And I felt like I was in a very privileged position to see uh, somebody. So if you don't know who Glenn Keane is, um, he's, the, he's the animator behind the Beast and Beauty and the Beast. Uh, designed that character as well. Uh, the same uh, for Little Mermaid. Uh, and Aladdin and Pocahontas, um, uh, lots of Radigan. If you've seen, you know, Great Mouse Detective. Like, 
that that's Tarzan in the Disney Tarzan. Like that's Glenn, and Glenn uh, is a very smart person about how he does what he does. And and I, it was interesting to be in the room with him, creating and watching him create. And I felt like it would be nice. I know a lot of people would want to be a fly on the wall for this process to see this process. And so the idea of this show, Masters of the Class or Masters of the Craft, was a way for people to be a fly on the wall and to hear how people at a certain level talk about craft and how they think about craft, how they think about what they do. And so that's really the, the point of it. So, so yeah, you get to hear, um, you know, these people at the top, the, the guy who wrote Jaws, you get to hear what he thinks about what he does. Right. And, and the jerk. Yeah. Right. And so, um, uh, let's see who else have we talked to. Uh, talked to Paul, Paul Feig, my friend Paul. Yeah, who um, Paul Feig uh, directed Bridesmaids, created Freaks and Geeks, did the new Ghostbusters, did Simple Favor. Anyway, that's that's Paul, and uh, Paul's a guy I've known for a long time, and uh, also really nice guy. <laughs> but that, it's all true. It's all. I'm not just saying it's not show business. You know, crap. Like really good dude. Um, but he did it, so you get to hear, you know, you get to hear what what he says, things he says. Um, oh, who else? Said Willow, right? Oh, yeah, G G Willow Wilson, who uh, is a, a a graphic novelist uh, or comic book writer and novelist, um, and she was great. Um, um, she was actually she took my class uh, years ago. I don't know, eleven years ago or something. Um, is where I met her, um, but just. Um, she was already working, but she's really gone on to great things and did um, did Ms. Marvel, so really did the first female Muslim superhero character of any significance in, in mainstream comics. Um, and that, that brought her a lot of notoriety. Uh, just a, a, a smart, um, uh, insightful human being. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was really happy to have her on. Gene, um, you did a. Uh... Oh yeah, Gene Luen Yang, uh, who uh, his 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 most famous book I think is American Born Chinese, which is a graphic novel, but uh, he's done uh, a ton of stuff, and I can't remember his title. He had a title like he 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 went around trying to get kids to read, and it was an official position. Like it was like the, a government kind of like you are the guy who tells kids to read, you know, I don't remember what it's called, uh, it, but that's what he did. Uh, but also just, uh, just a bright, uh, a bright guy who, um, it's worth hearing him talk and, and, and hearing him think, uh, hearing how he thinks about things. What's the one you just did last week? Oh, the one I did last week is, uh, is, is Frank Oz and Frank did, uh, well, if you don't know Frank Oz, you probably do. Um, I, I know sometimes people don't know his name, which is interesting, but they know his work. So Frank Oz is, um, uh, he's a director. So he directed Little Shop of Horrors. He directed uh, a movie called The Score. He directed Death at a Funeral. He directed um, Indian in the Country. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. So he's a director. He's also a performer. And uh, so he is uh, the person, the performer behind uh, Miss Piggy, uh, Fozzie Bear, Cookie Monster, Grover, um, Sam the Eagle, <laughs> and uh, uh, Yoda. Animal, right? 
Animal, Animal and Yoda. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Yoda. Uh, Yoda's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we, we don't really talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> so so it, That's uh, what I wanted you to talk about. And because like, and so when people are listening, like that was never the point was to go, what was it? What was it like to, you know, yeah. be What's Miss the, Piggy? Yeah. That's not, that's not what you're trying to do. It's not a, yeah. It's not that kind of show where it's like, yeah, what was Miss Piggy really like? You know, it's not that show, <laughs> you know, um, it's, 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 uh, you know, he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't come on and do voices and, you know, it's not, none of them like that. Yeah. It, it, it's all about how he approaches his work and how he thinks about his work. He's a serious craftsperson. And I thought nobody does an interview with him where they ask him serious craft questions. Um, yeah. You know, I want to know how you create that way. How do you, how can you be both Miss Piggy and Yoda? Where does that come from? Yeah. Right? You know, icons. I, he just makes icons. It's yeah, like, how, what's the process? Yeah. yeah. How, how are you cookie monster? How is that? You know, like, so it's all about, it's all about that. And he talks about his directing as well. And, you know, it's, but it's all about craft. It's all about how people think and how they approach their work and the philosophies behind yeah. it and influences and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, um, it's not like, there's no laughs in it, but it's not about being funny and it's not about it's yeah, not a right. gossip thing. And it's not about show business and it's not about, it's about yeah. the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. So. And so for all, for everybody listening or watching starting next week is the first episode of that. And you're going to kind of see like an episode of master of the craft episode of your storyteller. And it's kind of like this, uh, this thing, this thing going back and forth um, where, where you're really interviewing all these folks at the top of their game and we're trying to show how it all kind of connects and, and also invite some other voices into the conversation too. Right. Which I think is going to be really great. And so I've gotten to see um, some of the episodes already and they're dynamite. And just, again, not only the nicest people, but like the gold that they just throw out and give away is amazing. Like some of the stuff I told you, I was watching Frank's and I was like, God, I was texting you about it. I was like, when he said this, when he said that, I was like, that's brilliant. Oh, that makes total sense. And you know, and it's like, God, and they just have all this stuff in their head. And it's just like, how do we get as much of it out of their heads as possible and into all of your heads so mm-hmm. that, um, you know, collectively we can all just keep doing a better and better job. So thanks, Brian. I'm looking forward to the new show. Uh, and uh, don't forget, like, you are what you eat, right? So 30-day yeah. challenge. We're going to post a link of, like, here's 30 different sh- – uh, either it's going to be a TV show episode or movies. Here's the thing to look for. And we just encourage you to at least try at least yeah. give it a shot because once you get through that dip, I think you'll find that it will do nothing but help you yeah. moving forward. This program is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency.